electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Karen Feinerman. Tonight on Fast, the retail trading revolution heads to Washington. The CEOs of Robinhood, Melvin Capital, and Roaring Kitty himself. They'll all be front and center on Capitol Hill. We dig into their testimonies. Plus, ready to rev up, one fund manager thinks this stock is about to see accelerating gains. We'll tell you what it is and lay out her case. And don't forget, we've got a special bonus hour coming up at 6 p.m. Eastern time. All this week, Fast Money is taking a look at the new American investor and how they are changing the way Wall Street does business. But we start off tonight with a countdown to earnings from Walmart, the world's biggest retailer, getting ready to report before the bell tomorrow. Shares are up nearly 25% over the past year. But fallen more than 4% from recent highs. So have we seen a re-rating for this stock? Where are we in that process? Is it over, maybe, Guy, especially with the reopening on tap? Yeah, I don't think it's over, Mel. And again, I want to—I got to point out both Tim and Karen have talked about this. And I've gotten on board late, but I am on board now in terms of the re-rating. And I think it deserves it. You know, I'm not... You want to compare it to Costco? Well, Costco is trading close to 33 times. I mentioned that because, you know, Sam Club lives within Walmart, and Walmart at 25 times to me uh, sounds cheap. Also, you're talking about a company that probably is going to have close to 10% EPS, EPS growth year over year, and their operating margins continue to seemingly improve. I think we're looking for about 4.8%. So I don't see any reason why in an environment where the broader market's trading at 23 times next year's numbers, Walmart shouldn't trade higher than 25, probably closer to 30. And by the way, I mean, when I took a look at historical PEs relative to itself, Right now, Walmart's P doesn't look any higher than the five-year average, Karen. So, I mean, if you want to poke a you know, hole in terms of the P.E., it, it's not quite there yet at this point. What do you think? Right. I don't think the P.E. is crazy at all, though. But we, remember, we have seen a re-rating somewhat already, very deservedly so. But uh, I think, you know, we've seen a lot of changes in the last year. So online, that business, of course, has exploded during the pandemic. That's less profitable business. Uh, the grocery hasn't been as strong as some others but they've done a remarkable job and with online and while they've been doing that they've been spending and they're spending on on walmart plus and so we're not really sure how much they're spending but we know they're spending a lot so that's hurting margins a little bit so i want to give them a little bit of credit for that and then you know we have a couple of wild cards we have you know vaccinations you can see a lot of that through walmart what's that going to do for their business i think it'll be a nice positive and as the stores open up as as the country opens up i think we'll see more of that in-store traffic which is a little higher margin so there's a lot of good things going on at walmart it has been re-rated some but this is certainly not an expensive stock one thing i want to point out though that target for me is actually now a bigger position having appreciated more than walmart mm-hmm. and trading a little bigger discount a meaningful discount to the market relative to Walmart. But I like them both. I'm long both of them. We'll see what else they say tomorrow beside earnings. Yeah, Target has outperformed both year-to-date and on a 12-month basis compared to Walmart. So, so, Tim, in terms of your love of Walmart, does it look even better considering how much Target has gone, gone up? 
Yeah, I mean, if we'd done this on Valentine's Day, I would have gotten probably misty. But, I mean, I, I, I think I, I love this position. <laughs> it's one of my bigger positions. Uh, you put a Costco multiple on, it's $180 stock. Um, Walmart Plus has just really begun to fight. People don't really talk enough about Walmart, Walmart's fulfillment. And, and I, I think it's, it, you know, if you look at the expectations on the U.S. comp, it's somewhere around 8%. I mean, that's a big number. And, and so on some level, that's a big bar to get across. But also, that's awesome. And, and when you consider also where they had $10 billion of buyback, uh, they have paid down debt and have a lower interest expense. There are things working for you on the capital market side as an investor that I think also help ultimately that multiple. The, the negatives, so we're, we're saying all these great things. Look, um, there is higher wage pressure on this company. There's no question about it. It's going to continue to become uh, a, a bigger issue for them. And they're going to have to play uh, part of you know, some give back, I, I think, socially. And, and I think they will. Um, I think if you look at the, the pull forward on COVID and where they've been in a sweet spot, there's always going to be some concern of where we are when we get out of this eating at home dynamic. Um, we're going to talk about inflation, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. But remember, food retailers, of which this is 25 percent of Walmart's business, do really well when there's higher food prices. OK, it's a good thing for them. It's not a bad thing. Yeah, um, I think that it's uh, important to mention also Walmart and how we have witnessed in the past year or so. Um, how it's changed in terms of its digital strategy and how it views digital. I mean, we've seen sort of these little bolt-on acquisitions, but when we got the headline that it was considering buying TikTok along with Oracle, Dan, that really seemed to, it's like, what? Walmart? Huh, that's interesting. I mean, the reaction was kind of, you know, fascinating to watch. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it made any sense, to be honest with you. It might have been just like some sort of, uh, I mean, I, we were scratching our heads. You said interesting. I was like dumb. Um, you know, I mean, so so listen, I think Tim makes a really good point about the comps, though. You know, when you think about how many retailers were shut down um, at some point in Q2 of last year, you know, these retailers that were allowed to be open are going to face some very difficult comps going forward. And yes, they had this massive acceleration or adoption of these digital platforms that they had been building, but the comps look tougher going forward. It's also funny that these guys, I heard the term PE used a lot. I mean, come on, this is 2021. There's nothing more about like earnings per share. It's, it's earnings per meme. It's EPM. That's all that really matters. So who cares um, about comparative valuation? And I would say, take a look at Costco. You know, this thing is down eight and a half percent. It's trading at a couple month lows here relative to the others. Um, this one could really set up into their earnings in early March as a good play. And I just make one last point about all these big box guys forget Target, which has been volatile this year. You know, it had a 11% peak to trough decline from its January highs. Um, they've all actually been really range bound, interestingly, and none of them have confirmed the highs in the S&P 500. So I suspect that this earnings season out of these big box names are going to give us a really good sense as far as visibility and what expectations are for investors, for these guys who basically won the pandemic because of the forced closure of most of their competition. Yeah, forced closure of most of their competition, stimulus and stimulus still um, that is coming, Guy. So how do you how do you factor that in in terms of the interesting period that we enter? Because when these companies are talking about forward guidance, we are talking about overlapping um, quarters last year that were during the pandemic. Walmart wins, Target wins, uh, <laughs> Costco wins to Dan's point. And I think, the, the, you know, in the case of these co companies, the rich are going to get richer in this environment. And I don't want to jump the inflation uh, shark yet either, but that's a huge component of the thesis here behind these stocks. And it's, you know, 
Again, it's here. We just don't acknowledge it. But I think Walmart wins. You know what else wins? The Dollar General, by the way, that we've talked about. They're another winner through this entire thing. And I think J.P. Morgan just put them on their focus list with, I think, a $254 price target. So in terms of the companies, the winners will continue to win. And the ones that are left on the side are going to continue to be left on the side of the road. Unfortunately, that's just the way this has been playing out over the last nine to ten months. I love it when you guys say we're going to talk about inflation, but I'll talk about inflation right now. We'll talk about it more later. So we might as well just talk about it right now, because this morning we got a major warning sign about inflation. Producer prices climbing more than expected in January. We talked about this issue at the top of the show yesterday. Today we get this data in the morning. Is this proof, Tim, of what we were talking about last night, that the economy is heating up and potentially, potentially heating up faster than we all think? Yeah, I think you have to be careful about PPI. Um, it, it, it's a very volatile series, and I think there are, there are factors here that a lot of people also believe are going to uh, fall off uh, on your yearly comps when we get out into April, May. Um, some of these are COVID-related. I, I think if we were looking at emerging markets and, and we saw higher PPI in China, we'd be doing cartwheels and we'd be buying that market. So um, I'm, I, I, we, we, the inflation conversation that we weren't going to have earlier and now we're having and we had yesterday, and it, we have inflation. Um, we have different forms of inflation, and, and ultimately, I'd rather see inflation than deflation. I think uh, you've had a, a very interesting, uh, you know, kind of burn through on extra slack in the economy, especially on the services side. I think that's really where we're going to run into it, and I think you're going to see a lot of businesses passing through those costs. I, I think in the short to medium term, uh, again, what, is, what does this mean for the Federal Reserve? I don't think it means anything. I think they're going to continue to follow a path that they they have their own measurement of inflation. And for better or worse, they're not going to change policy in the short to medium term. Um, I do think inflation is an issue, but 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 I'm I'm excited about inflation right now as it plays off into resource trades and inflation and housing. Um, and again, not not home builders, um, but I think this is actually very good for Home Depot and Lowe's. Yeah, you know, in the Fed minutes today, and I know you guys come through all of those minutes from the January 26th and 27th meeting, um, but they did note that it was important to take note of the temporary inflation factors. And they highlighted temporary because that that's sort of the rub. It's only going to be a longer lasting inflation spike that gets the Fed to move away from what they are doing now. And that's a concern of the market stand. So unless you believe that what we're seeing is a start of something that is lasting, things don't change, do they? Yeah. I, I, listen, you know, we saw a lot of people calling for inflation for 10 years after the global financial crisis, after Zerp and QE and all that sort of stuff. And it never really came. Guy would tell you that it did come in a lot of other places, healthcare, education and stuff like that, that maybe some of these um, gauges don't measure. I just say this. I look at what's on the tape here, okay? And last night I saw Kraft Heinz say because of commodity prices going up, input costs, they're going to pass them through or possibly pass through through customers. I look at that chart. I pull up a five-year. I hope our producers can do that. Oh, my goodness. Look at this thing. That is like the, the most epic head and shoulders bottom you will ever see. It looks like it's approaching that gap. And then I also look on the tape that Michael Burry of Big Short fame, not our, our main man, Danny Moses, um, was buying calls in this thing. That was the guy who was buying calls in the GameStop sort of situation. So a lot of really funky themes kind of merging here. But, um, you know, that one looks kind of interesting to me. And to Tim's point, I think that that's inflation that a company like Kraft Heinz will like if they can push through the costs because we have all this stimulus coming to. And I think that's that's the question. Can they push through the cost? 
um, Karen, or is it up to the retailer to absorb that cost and accept less margin? I mean, how do you how do you start thinking about how this inflation impacts the consumer? Well, I think some of it's very brand specific, right? So I think someone like a Lulu is going to have a lot more pricing power than maybe Athleta, just to give you an example. So the stronger your brand, the more room you have to push through that cost, even if you have them very contained. So that's where you have the potential for more profit. Uh, but to me, I'm a little skeptical, not 100%, but I'm a little skeptical of this notion of this rise in inflation being temporary only. Uh, it's possible that's the case. I think you know we're going from an economy that was shut down to one that's really going to be jump-started. Those January numbers were enormous. And I think that, I don't think that's the end of the big numbers. I think we're going to continue to see them. So I, I guess the Fed, the Fed could be right. But at the moment, it seems to me that inflation is more uh, present than just a transitory once we open, then it'll go back to the way it was. I'm not really sure if that's the case. So I'm, I think, positioned for inflation. If it's skyrockets out of control, then I think the whole market goes down. We come back to that notion of what's the right risk premium. Mm -hmm. If interest rates go up a lot, then the risk premium gets higher, multiples come down. That will happen. Yeah. So a little inflation is good. I agree with Tim. A little inflation, that's where we are. It's good for now. Yeah. It is interesting to think that the Fed, um, you know, thinks that they could have it under control. I mean, we are coming to a point where things will only get better for the economy and people have a lot of money. I mean, you know, with the stimulus checks going out, households have a lot of money in their bank accounts. People are all, you know, cooped up inside. They haven't spent on any vacations. Guy, I, I mean, I know that, you know, you may have bought, you know, Lululemon pants for 120 bucks. Um, you won't mind if inflation takes that $120 pants to 125 um, For a lot of consumers out there, they, they want to spend <laughs> that money. And as we go through the year, that is going to heat up more and more. I believe that... Uh uh, Lululemon aficionados call those joggers, and I have it. I, I'm still a Levi's guy. I, I still have the same jeans that I had in high school, I in case it. anybody cares. And care, yeah, you should. And Karen mentioned that the Fed might be right. I might play shortstop for the Yankees this year. Neither one is happening, and the Fed is <laughs> not right, respectfully. And every time they open their collective mouths, the wealth gap in this country continues to widen because, guess what, in my opinion, inflation's great for the wealthy and those that have assets, and it's really miserable for people that are on the other end of the spectrum and don't. They're the biggest culprit in this wealth creation. We used to go to barbecues back in the day when they actually used charcoal. And I'll just give you this visual. And there was always that one dude standing above the, the charcoal with the gray charcoals, just sort of the smoke coming and always pouring the lighter fluid on it. And he always would throw the match in. And you knew what was going to happen. You could see it. He was going to throw a match, was going to catch, and his eyebrows were going to be gone. Well, that's what's going to happen with the Fed. Jerome Powell better watch his eyebrows because they're about to get singed <laughs> off. I don't know what kind of barbecues you, you go to. Um, moving on, we've got an earnings <laughs> alert for you. <laughs> Shares of Baidu are jumping after its latest earnings report. Let's get to Deidre Bosa with the details. Debo. <laughs> Melissa, the turnaround story continues. Baidu's strong results helped not just by recovery in advertising, but also by its newer businesses. That includes AI, cloud autonomous vehicles. Now, Baidu's core revenue, which includes search and digital advertising, that grew just 6%. Non-marketing revenue was up 52% year over year. In the release, co-founder and CEO Robin Lee saying, quote, 
Our focus on innovation through technology is paying off. Baidu is well positioned as a leading AI company with a strong internet foundation to seize the huge market opportunities in cloud services, autonomous driving, smart transportation, and other AI opportunities. And guys, this is really what investors have been waiting for. For years, Baidu has been an underperformer among those big Chinese tech names. Over the last year, though, shares have outperformed the other so-called bats, China's version of Fang, Alibaba by a long shot as it deals with its own issues. Tencent as well. Uh, analysts, they are particularly excited about its opportunity in autonomous vehicle technology as China lays out plans to build a network. Mizuho says that Baidu is well positioned as the dominant OS operating system for both the smart transportation network and in-car technology. Back over to you. All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa. Uh, Tim, I got to go to you on this. I mean, if you wanted China exposure and you like, you know, autonomous vehicles, this, this is it. Right. And this used to be the Google of, mm-hmm. of China. Right. So you had some of the same uh, comparisons as it relates to autonomous and, and, you know, where Google's been building and where they've been building on AI. Um, I, look, the valuation, not expensive here, um, you know, roughly 30 times. And, and uh, but it's it's had a monster, monster move again since since November ish. You, you've seen this stock double. Um, and and I, look, I, I believe in the mega cap China tech story. I think a lot of the, the regulatory noise is, is noise. Um, and I think this is a company that has uh, got multiple levers to pull, uh, valuation that's not awful. I'm not sure I needed to buy it tomorrow, um, but it's a company that I'm, I'm certainly bullish on longer term. All right. Coming up, it's going to be a big day in Washington as the CEO of Robinhood faces off against lawmakers. We'll be joined by a top securities lawyer, former SEC, to find out what he is watching. But first, long lagging Wells Fargo getting a big boost today. Is this the sign the bank is ready to play catch up with its competitors? We'll bring you the trade after this break. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Check out shares of Wells Fargo. Topping the tape today, the stock jumping 5% on reports that the Federal Reserve has accepted its plan to overhaul its risk management and governance practices. The stock is now at its highest level since last March. Karen, this would be very good news in terms of uh, the caps on Wells Fargo right now. Right, exactly. So Wells Fargo has been very expensive on a book, and we've talked about that many times, but not so expensive on a PE, and that's because of the caps you just mentioned. So while everyone else was growing their balance sheet dramatically from the time that Wells Fargo entered the doghouse until now, you know, J.P. Morgan grew their balance sheet by maybe 30 percent, Bank of America probably by 25 percent. And we've talked a lot about net interest margins, even though the margins are coming down, 
the actual dollars of net interest earned at those others have been very big. So for, they've missed out entirely on that. So assuming they can grow again, this will be very, very good for their earnings. And it's happening at a time when the yield curve has steepened. So that net interest margin will be even bigger. So this is a big positive for them, assuming it's true. And I do believe that it's true. It's, they've been in the penalty box for three plus years now. Um, this is very, very good news for them. Great for Charlie Sharp. His turnaround a little slower than people had thought, but this is a critical step. And it's, it's still not expensive on book. They're now just over one times tangible book. But I think on future earnings, it's not expensive. So let's say Wells, Wells Fargo is actually, because we have not confirmed this report. This is a report right now, but the stock did move. Let's say Wells Fargo is, in fact, out of that doghouse, as Karen had mentioned, but it enters dog purgatory. It doesn't, it's not able to go to the park or have fun with the other dogs and puppies out there because it may take as much as a year for the Fed to officially lift the caps. This is according to Piper Sandler. They are worried that people are getting too excited and not looking at the fact that it could take much longer for those caps to actually be lifted. Tim, what do you think? But we're not going to wait. The stock's not going to wait for that. And, and look, the other dogs may be doing what dogs do in the park, by the way. I, you know, that's for another show. I, I think you've got a case here where one of the other brokers had a title report, uh, the end of the beginning. And I'm not ready to, 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 to fly a, a, you know, a full flag high on Wells Fargo. I will say that you've got a case where you have had a, a major, major impediment to the stock. Karen pointed that out. Um, the dynamic here also just in terms of acceptance of their governance is some kind of a, an implicit green light. Um, the stock didn't just start rallying, though. I mean, the stock, look, if you look at the, the two years on Wells Fargo to J.P. Morgan, and re, the, the relative underperformance was staggering. Minus 55 percent to J.P. Morgan from two years ago to the lows in November. And then since that point has outperformed the best bank uh, on the planet by almost 22 percent since November. Um, it's, you know, it, it's this isn't the first point of this. And things rally the most when they go from terrible to bad. So. Do with it what you want from here. I don't do anything with Wells Fargo tomorrow. I like banks. I'm not sure I need to own this one now. Right here, right now, Guy. Wells Fargo or J.P. Morgan? Wells Fargo. And listen, it, it gives me no joy to say that, by the way. And I happen to think the best thing about it is their stagecoaches, whatever those things were back in the day when I was still <laughs> a young lad. But Karen points out the tangible book is 33 and change. And if you just give them like a 1.3 book, you know, multiple to tangible book, you're talking about a $43 stock. And I think it's probably can get there. To Tim's point about, I don't know what dog purgatory is, not being a dog myself, but it sounds awful. I don't think the market's going to wait to Tim's point. And I think it probably continues to trade higher. 43 makes sense for a number of different reasons. I don't really know what dog, I mean, I, I was trying to, you know, extend the metaphor. Not successful there. Um, Dan, quick thoughts on, on WFC? Yeah, I think they need an investment bank. I mean, we, we've heard about this as a potential acquirer of an investment bank for a long time. And you look at where some of these capital markets businesses, what they did last year, and especially in the first half of the year when it was pretty challenging um, for commercial banks. So, so to me, I just think they're going to see some consolidation. And if I look at a money center bank like Wells Fargo that really got capped at its knees for the last few years, I say they need to do something, not just that new CEO, they need to do something transformative and compete a little bit better with the big boys, especially if they're going to enter into this new digital, immutable, decentralized financial utopian world that we are headed in. <laughs> I think we're almost there. Um, we're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. The rented revolution is heading to Washington. 
how lawmakers are likely to react as the CEOs of Robinhood and Reddit take the stand. And later, Roku shares buffering today after a red-hot rally. Where options traders are betting the stock will go after it reports earnings tomorrow. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Fast Money, a landmark hearing on Capitol Hill tomorrow as the main players in the Reddit revolution face lawmakers. We just got some glimpses into some of their testimonies. Kate Rooney joins us now with the details. Kate. Hey, Melissa, Robinhood, Melvin Capital and Keith Gill, the Reddit trader who goes by Roaring Kitty online, all out with their written testimonies ahead of the GameStop hearing tomorrow. We also did just get Reddit out. I haven't had a chance to look at that one, but heads up that it is out at this point. Uh, but we will start with Robin Hood and the CEO Vlad Tenev, who right out of the gates plans to address some of the allegations that Robin Hood was colluding with the hedge funds to shut down the buy side of certain trades. He says that, quote, any allegations that Robin Hood acted to help hedge funds or any other special interest to the detriment of their customers is, quote, absolutely false and market distorting rhetoric. Tenev also highlights some of the back-end systems that were stressed that week in January, including the company's value at risk, which they say nearly quadrupled over those four days that GameStop was being bid up by traders on social media. And by now, this is probably the most famous of those traders, Keith Gill. He also released his testimony this afternoon, and in it he says the idea that he used social media to promote GameStop stock is uh, to unwitting investors is, quote, preposterous. His channels, he says, was for educational purposes. He also highlights that he is an individual investor. He isn't affiliated with a hedge fund. And finally, he's still bullish on GME. He says the company was dramatically undervalued by the market. Gill is also facing a new lawsuit today in accusations of securities fraud. Finally, Melvin Capital CEO Gabriel Plotkin, who was, of course, short GameStop, He says the January frenzy was untethered to fundamentals. He also says that he was humbled by what happened in January and investors in Melvin suffered significant losses. He also says the firm had been betting against GME since 2014. Melissa, back to you. All right, Kate, thank you. And as Kate had mentioned, uh, the Reddit CEO's testimony is out, so we're getting through that right now. We'll bring you any of the headlines there. For more on what to expect during Thursday's hearings, let's bring in former SEC Enforcement Division Senior Counsel Jacob Frankel. Jacob, great to have you with us. Um, Who do you think has the most at stake tomorrow? Well, I think everybody has the same, pretty much the same stake, and that is they're all going to be, for the most part, under the spotlight, accused by members of Congress. And at the end of the day, it's really going to take an investigation to figure out 
what actually happened. Was somebody responsible responsible at a level that constituted a violation of the federal securities laws? In some respects, it's almost like a political debate. Is somebody going to make a mistake at the table? Is somebody going to say something that will put them in deeper trouble or at least give rise to an issue, whether it be in civil litigation or in the context of the inevitable ongoing SEC investigations? So my expectations for this hearing are pretty low because at the witness table, it's about being safe. And for those asking the questions, it's about showing their interest, showing their commitment. But what can Congress really do here is I think a much better question. I think the obligation really is at the SEC level to figure out structurally and substantively what happened, what can be done, and is anybody culpable? Yeah. Uh, In terms of what can be done, though, Jacob, I mean, all of these parties who are going to be sitting you know, at this table, either virtually or in person tomorrow, they all play by the rules, the rules as they are written today. Um, you know, as, as Keith Gill or Roaring Kitty had said, if you, I mean, if you actually take a look at his YouTube channel and his videos and his posts, you know, he makes it very clear that it is for educational purposes only. Take that at face value. He, he had full disclosure in terms of, you know, this is where I stand, this is my position, and I'm not trying to promote the stock in any way. Melvin Capital, they shorted according to the rules of the system. And, and they paid the price for it. And then they had to get an investment from Citadel. Robinhood, they played by the rules of the system. And yes, their value at risk ballooned over the course of that week of January 25th. But they still played by the rules. So what are we looking for exactly? Well, I mean, a, a terrible analogy, but somewhat, you know, but, but a somewhat interesting you know, comparison was, you know, was anybody shorting stock? You know, before 9-11, were people selling stock options, you know, were, were, were selling, uh, trading and put options before 9-11? I mean, you know, ultimately, it's going to require an investigation to figure out whether what we're hearing at the table is really what happened. Were there coordinated efforts? Was there, was there best execution? And it's only at the end of an investigative process that we're going to find out. And I don't think you'd necessarily change the rules, merely because of one fact pattern. But I think what we're dealing with really highlights the fact, in my view, the markets were unprepared for this social media mailstorm, ultimately driving the price of a stock to a level that is entirely inconsistent with fundamentals, which then gives rise to a completely different question, which is, are we entering an era where fundamentals don't matter and it's only technical trading? And I think those are the structural issues that you really need an organization such as the SEC's Division of Trading and Markets really to look at. And there has not been a comprehensive examination of market structure since Chairman Levitt instituted one probably a little more than 20 years ago. This may be the time. We have a new chairman coming in who's very regulatory oriented and all eyes are going to be on the chairman. And I think one of the other issues is that the timing could not have been worse for the SEC. In other words, the new chairman had not yet been, still has not yet uh, been voted in by the Senate and, and, and approved by the president. You know, we, as a result, there's no head of the Division of Enforcement, right. head of the Division of Trading Markets General Counsel. They're all acting heads. And I think, you know, the timing and the dynamics are all such that it just really had a really compelling and a need for sort of a reset at the market. Jacob, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. I guess my question is around social media. Um, because this seems to have been the genesis, at least, of, of, of where uh, a, lo- a lot of these um, 
reactions have, have happened. Do you think that there's going to be some assessment of, of social media in a way that it hasn't already been? Because, again, um, I, I think you've made it clear it's not about necessarily new regulations. It's about figuring out what went wrong. Um, and, and is there some sense that, that social media regulations aren't you know, strong enough to, to withstand this again? Tim, it's a great question because what you're really what you're really raising is to what extent will the SEC get involved in regulating speech, and it always has not done so. There's Regulation FD that relates to issuer communications, uh, corporate executive communications, and there are expectations with respect to corporate disclosures. We're talking about third parties. The SEC brought a case in October of last year involving a short and distort scheme, where social media was the vehicle for accomplishing that. It's wonderful to hear people say they're not acting in coordination, but we've heard, you know, we've heard short sellers claim that all of us, you know, who've gone to jail or fraudsters who've gone to jail come out saying, now we're going to discover where fraud is in the market and act in the, the public market's best interest, just make it known. And in fact, they're still playing the system. So to me, I really want to wait and see what the investigation reveals not mm -hmm. what are people saying at the table, but were there coordinated communications? Because I do not expect there to be any regulation of speech, but I think the commission is very much on top of what is said on, you know, on social media right. and whether that's being used to manipulate the markets. And I think there's going to, one of the statutes they're not looking at is section 13D, where people acting as a group I mean, how were some of the existing regulatory schemes mm -hmm. being applied in the current market environment? Right. Jacob, thank you for your thoughts. Appreciate it. Jacob Frankel. Um, we had mentioned before that the uh, the testimony from the Reddit CEO is out. Julia Borson has gone through the testimony. She's got the details. Julia. Yes, Reddit CEO Steve Huffman talking a lot about the moderation rules that they have on Reddit and also talking specifically about Wall Street bets, saying it is a real community and that it, the community enforces its own rules, both written and unwritten. He goes on to say they have analyzed the activity in Wall Street bets to determine whether bots, foreign agents or other bad actors played a significant role, saying they have not. In every metric we checked, the activity in Wall Street bets was well within normal parameters and its moderation tools we're working as expected. He goes on to say, we will, of course, cooperate with valid legal requests from federal and state regulators. That said, we do believe that this community was well within the bounds of our own policies. Of course, it'll be very interesting to see, Melissa, what happens in terms of the questioning of Steve Huffman. But that is the statement that he has going into it. All right. Julia, thank you. Julia Borson with the Reddit CEO testimony. Karen, I'll go to you on this. What what in your mind is the most outstanding issue um, that the testimony could possibly address? Well, there's two that one that Julie was just talking about, uh, whether they did, in fact, act as a group, because we've seen other shareholders, 13 D's have to be filed. So that's one question. But also, I think what should come of it is I'd like to see a lot more disclosure on the short side, right? You have to file a 13 D on the long side if you're over 5%. No such filing um, duty exists for the short side. I think that would have made things, maybe it would have just made things more transparent, but maybe it would have happened just the same. I don't know. But it seemed to me there should be sort of an equal parity of disclosure for longs and shorts. Yeah. I hope Dan, they address that. Dan? Yeah, I, I mean, listen, I, I think um, 
you know, short selling is a perfectly natural function. If this turns into like get shorty, I think that's a big waste of time. But I also agree with that prior guest that there's just not going to be too much teeth to this. We've seen time and time again when um, we see business leaders, whether it be Silicon Valley or whatever, they come to Congress and they go in front of these panels and the questions, it's just like, who knows less about what they're asking? So <laughs> at the end of the day, it's a sideshow. No, I mean that. And I, and I think that these statements are about as meaty as it gets right now. Yeah. I mean, I think back to the Facebook Libra hearings, for instance, and it was clear as day that not many people knew yeah. anything about cryptocurrencies or what Facebook does or what Libra could be um, guy. So I'm not really, you know, I'm not really anticipating any sort of like lights to be shown tomorrow on, on, no, on the dark but it's corners be, of the market. I mean, you talk about must you talk about talk about must watch TV. That's going to be it. And I'd ask. I'd ask Vlad, uh, the CEO of Robinhood, I'd say, listen, I'm just interested, sir, who, who, is your, who are your clients? Because in a zero commission world, it ain't, the pure, it ain't the people paying zero commission. So what exactly are they to you? I mean, that would be a great question that I'd love to hear the answer to because Robinhood clients, it's not the people on the other side of these trades, it's not the people uh, paying zero commissions. It's something else going on there. So the answer to a higher power, I'd be interested to see what the answer would be on that I, one. I agree 100% with that. And I think for everybody who has a Robinhood account out there, you have to ask yourself, who, you know, am I being served? And, and what, are my, what are my expectations? Because I think a lot of people out there, Tim, were expecting that they have certain rights. When in actuality, if you're not paying anything for a service, what, what do you have? Well, I, I don't think that the fact that the service is free means you have no rights, and I don't think that they are treated differently whether they pay 10 bucks a trade or zero, I, I, I believe. Um, and again, but guys talking about essentially, you know, pay, pay for flow uh, to big institutions who do a lot with that flow um, and who have vision into the market that you'll never have. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, again, this democratizing um, trading, let's be clear, uh, there are the the lack of, of of full information exists for almost everybody in the market and and i think you know, the the other side of this because we all want the individual investor or, or even the institutional investor the sec doesn't discriminate by the way they're here to protect all investors um, but but i think accountability is another side of this if you actually believe you're going to be investing in something with zero fundamentals and you're along for the ride and you you know start thinking about terms like kamikaze investing i i can't help you um, so again, let's 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 see what happens. Uh, none of us expect a lot to come out of Congress, but I do think you have a case here where uh, you know there there could be more regulation coming out of this at some point. Karen, with a rare hand raise, can I just add one thing? Yes. Well, okay. I know you pay zero commissions, but you you do get margin loans, right? So you're the customer often. I'm not saying they don't sell order flow. I, I agree with that completely, and that needs to be looked at. But you get a margin loan. That's how they make money as well, mm -hmm. right? So that, I mean, it, it, you know, it's, it's potentially dynamite yep. if you don't use it correctly, sure. but you and, do and get it. What is interesting out of the Robin Hood testimony, and this is just the last point on this, is that um, he does say that less than 3% of accounts are margin enabled. So they're not really making, I mean, in theory, they're not, they may not be making as much. I mean, there's some really interesting stats in terms of their customer base. The median customer account size is $240. The average customer account size is $5,000. I think there are going to be a lot of questions tomorrow, especially as uh, lawmakers, uh, you know, they want to be before the people. And so where do they stand on Robinhood? That will be interesting tomorrow. Coming up, we've got a lot more on this Reddit rebellion coming up in a special edition of the Fa Fast Money at the top of the hour. Why everything you think you know about what happened on these forums 
Why, all that could be wrong. <laughs> but first, our next guest is going hog wild over this stock. That might be a hint. We'll tell you what it is and why she says it's a squealing buy right now. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's been a rocky road for shares of Harley-Davidson, down more than 4% this year. But our next guest says the stock may be finally ready to rev up. Let's bring in Kate Faddis, CEO of Grace Capital. Kate, great to see you again. Uh, why do you like Harley-Davidson since it's such an underperformer I, this year? I like Harley-Davidson because it's cheap and management is working on a turnaround. There's a new management team in place, but primarily it's the cheapness. It's the cheapness. But what, what kind of turnaround are you anticipating? What are they, what are they going to do to, to spruce up the business? You know, they're, they're going to do a number of things. Uh, number one, first and foremost, got a new CEO, new management team, new strategy. They're going to have a, a rewire. They've got new products. They're trying to reach out to new customers that they weren't getting before. And, and just the whole, I think they just brought the company into the modern era. What kind of new customers? I remember a time when, the, you know, Harley Davidson was going hard after uh, the female demographic, for instance. I don't know if that ever panned out. Maybe not, since they're still trying to go after new demographics. But who are they targeting and, and are they going to do that by retooling their product lineup specifically or is this all a marketing trick? No, it's a bit of both, um, Melissa. They are going after now what they call psychographics. So you just, you know, the kids just left the home. So you want to buy a car. You um, just went through a divorce, so not a car, a motorcycle. Uh, and then they have a new electric-powered uh, bike, very expensive, high-end. And I, they're doing a better job of understanding who their customer is. They're people who can afford this, people who are in the position to spend this, and they're going after them. It's no, no more the scattershot approach. You know, the quarter was a disaster, I think you would admit. Uh, operating margins were negative 37 percent. Shipments were, I think, came in almost half of what was expected. But I think one of the bright spots, you point about new management, the CEO bought a million dollars worth of stock. Is that something that you look at? Does that resonate with you? It, it does, uh, because, you know, he's putting his money where his mouth is. Now, you got to remember, we had COVID, okay? Revenues were down 25 percent for the year. Well, that's going to do a number on your margins. So I'm giving them a little bit of uh, credit for that, grace for that. This year, they expect the revenues to uh, recover up another 25 percent. All right. Kate, thanks for bringing the idea to us. Appreciate it. Kate Faddis, CEO of Grace Capital. Tim Seymour, what do you think of, uh, of Hog? I think there's probably valuation argument for it. Uh, I think the excitement around uh, you know, around the company, I think is something that's probably you know four or five years past its prime. I, the concept of an electric Harley just, uh, you know, I can't ever <laughs> get my hands around that. So uh, I, I think the valuation is very interesting. That the hardwire kind of uh, announcement was obviously a disaster, and I think the stock working off of really negative expectations is part of what Kate is talking about, and part of where I think there's uh, upside relative to where expectations were so awful. All right. Coming up, Roku rocketing higher this year, and options traders are betting the stock could hit new highs following its earnings report tomorrow. We're breaking down the action. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Roku pulling back today. The streaming company is off to a flying start this year, though, and when it reports earnings uh, tomorrow, options traders are betting the stock will jump even higher. Bonoin Eisen joins us with the action. Hey, Bonoin. How's it going, Melissa? So, yes, looking forward 
to Roku. Calls and puts were about evenly distributed with calls outpacing puts about one and a half times to one. Jumping forward to the implied move, options are implying about a 10% move in either direction between now and Friday's X-Free. Compare that to about an 8.5% move over the last four quarters. But if you drill down and look back the last eight quarters plus, those moves have averaged about 20%, right? So moves on earnings. And the trade that really jumped out to me, about 1,000 of the February X-Free 452.5 calls were bought for about 2230 putting your break even about 5% north of where current spot is. Now, mind you, the stock had kind of rallied into the strike throughout the day, so the optics look a little bit better. But what I'm seeing and what really jumps out is, as opposed to the upside calls that were also bought, this is a more measured approach, pricing in about a 5% move, as opposed to the 10% move that the at the money straddles is pricing. So I thought this was a pretty strategic approach to play earnings going into the uh, release. All right. Thanks for that, Bono. And good to see you, Bono and Eisen. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That would be Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up next, your final trades. You have to be willing to take high risk. Uh, but if you do it in a tasteful way, the green economy uh, is going to have, you know, more than more than one Tesla. That was Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates speaking with Andrew Ross Sorkin on investing in the green economy. The whole interview is uh, coming up tomorrow on Squawk Box starting at 6 a.m. Eastern time. Um, interesting comments, though, Guy, just quickly. I mean, more than one Tesla. We've seen it with all the specs that are out there now. It's it's absolutely it's happening. I mean, we should do an entire we should do a week SPAC week. You know, they do spectacular. We should do SPAC week would be fantastic. <laughs> Look at you. Yeah, right I'm on. always thinking. Always thinking. All right. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't top that. Um, Walmart's <laughs> as good as I'm going to bring. But I tell you what, I, I do think there's a re-rating going on there. I do think it should trade north of 30 times in a world where their e-commerce biz is starting to crank up. Dan Nathan. Yeah, Carter Braxton Worth of Options Action and Fast Money Fame had a really negative report on the Russell 2000. IWM technically thinks there's plenty of downside here. I'm with him. Karen. Yeah, so all this talk about Walmart and re-rating and how well they're doing made me think, you know what, Target is really good too. So Target is a little bit cheaper and they got some momentum as well. Both have done a great job, but for me, Target is actually a little bit bigger position now. Guy. The winners here, the exchanges, specifically NASDAQ, NDAQ, Mel. All right. Uh, that does it for us for this hour. Don't go anywhere. A Fast Money special report on the new American investor starts at the top of the hour. See you then. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.